You're listening to the weekly Parsha podcast recorded with Hashem's unending help in Ramah Peshemesh Israel 57, 69, 2009. This week's Parsha is Parsha's bow. We have the last three makos, the last three plagues that God afflicted the Egyptians with. And we have the Jewish people being sent out of Egypt. And there's a number of important points I'd like to make, try to understand, tie them together, and bring us a message. The thing I'd like to point out are two recurring themes that we find from last week's Parsha, this week's Parsha, and next week's Parsha. The first of the themes that I, that I noticed that we have again in this week's Parsha that followed something that was in last week's Parsha is blood. What's the theme of blood? So we had last week, as we mentioned in the previous Parsha podcast, we had that the first plague was that the waters of the Nile River became blood. But So we need to understand what's the significance of it becoming blood. So last week we mentioned that it represented the fact that the god of the Egyptians was killed. I think there's a deeper dimension I'd like to discuss this week. But we find again this concept of blood is mentioned. It, it happened at the beginning of the ten makos, of the ten plagues. And it happens again at the end. How does it happen at the end? So God tells Moshe, to, tells Moses, to, to command the Jewish people to take a carbon Pesach to bring the sacrifice. But unlike in subsequent years when it would be brought in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, or in the base of English in the temple. So here what happened was they actually were shechted, they slaughtered it in their houses, and they took the blood, and here's a significant point, and they put it on their doorposts. And the verses tell us that by putting it on the doorposts, so when the mashchis, when the destroyer would come down, and he would come to destroy all of the Egyptians' firstborns, it wouldn't affect the Jewish houses. Any house that had the blood of that sacrifice upon the lentil, upon the doorposts, it wouldn't be affected by the plague. Now, I think it's very important to note that, again, as we mentioned, that we had at the beginning of the, the plagues, we had this blood, we had the water turning to blood, and then at the end of the ten plagues, we have the blood protecting the Jewish people, the blood of the sacrifice, they're listening to God, it's going to protect them from any destruction happening to the Jewish people. The second recurring theme that I notice that we have is water. What happens at the very beginning, the ten makos, the ten plagues, like we said, so the Nile, the water of the Egyptians was struck, and then again, when were the Egyptians struck? Their final blow was at the Yamsuf, at the Sea of Reeds. So the Jewish people were saved. They walked through the Yam, they walked through the water on dry land, and the Egyptians were destroyed with water. What's the significance that we see that it started and it ended with water? The third point that I'd like to make is that we see smack over here. We see something very interesting. The Torah is giving us the first commandment that the Jewish people have as a nation, as a full nation. The first commandment was that they should sanctify the new moon. Kiddush HaChodesh. Whenever you see, God says to Moshe, whenever you see the moon as it is like this, when it's a new moon, so the courts will convene, they'll declare, this is the first day of the month, and all of the uh, festivals are going to be determined based on the declaration of the courts. What's considered the new moon? Because the festivals are always on the 15th day of the month. Pesach is on the 15th day of the month. Sukkot is on the 15th day of the month. So we need to know when the first day of the month is. Why is the Torah giving us this commandment? Why is God commanding this commandment right here? It doesn't seem to have so much relevance at this moment. Why is it happening here? Just as the Jewish people are about to leave Egypt. What's the understanding of this? So recently, I was thinking a lot about this idea of the moon because in December and January, so the new moons that came out in December and January, so I saw the science article that mentioned that they were the fullest and brightest moons since the mid-1990s, and until the, the next bright moons as we had them during this time, so they're not going to be for another seven years until 2016. So I was interested in this because the moon 
we find that in a number of different places the moon represents the Jewish people. The moon reflects the light of the sun, has no light of its own, it reflects the light of the sun. The sun is the light of the spiritual. The Jewish people reflect that light. And we go in phases, we have ups and downs, just like the moon goes in phases, ups and downs. And when the moon is at its fullest, that's when we have our festivals. We have it in the middle of the month. Pesach, Passover is in the middle of the month. To Bishvat is coming up to the middle of the month. And we have Sukkot in the middle of the month. And we have Purim is in the middle of the month. All of these ideas represent the fact that at that time, that's when the spiritual power is the strongest. The Jewish people are at, are at their fullest. And in any event, the Jewish people are represented by the moon. That's what we see. So as I'm reading this article, so mentioned something which struck me. I wanted to understand it. And that is that the moon affects all the tides. And because the moon was brighter, it was fuller, it was closer to the earth, so therefore the tides, the, the waves, were actually higher and stronger because of the moon's proximity to the earth. The earth affects the tides. I was wondering, what's the understanding? Why is it that the tides are affected by the moon? What does that teach us? What does that represent? So subsequently, I saw something very interesting that the Ben Ishchai writes. He was a great Kabbalist, and he writes that the concept of Mayim, of water, is connected to the concept of Maidim, of showing acquiescence, of showing admittance, admitting to God, thanking God. What's the understanding? So he points out that if you spell out the letters of Mayim, the letters are Mem, Yud, Mem. If you spell it out, you get Mem. Mem mem. You get a yud, which is yud vav dalid, and you get a mem at the end, mem mem. So if you take the middle letters, the five middle letters, when you spell out each of those three letters, you have mem of mem, and you have yud, which is yud vav dalid, and mem at the end. You spell it spells out the word maidim, which means to thank or to show acquiescence. So you see the word maim, water itself somehow shows acquiescence, shows that I'm thanking God. What's the understanding of that? So as I was reading that, it hit me something that we say when we do Kiddush Levana. So after the new moon, within a few days, so on Matzi Shabbos, after Shabbos is over, so we go out and we say special prayer, which is Kiddush Levana, sanctifying the new moon. So we don't, we can't do it anymore. We don't have the great courts that could sanctify it then. But we still do something special for the moon. One of the things that we say, which is unusual, that bothered me, what's the understanding of it? We say, Just as I'm dancing before you, we're speaking to the moon. And we jump up and down a little bit. We make a movement. Just as I'm dancing before you, And I can't touch you. So too, my enemies shouldn't be able to touch me for anything bad. Very strange prayer. It's like, we're not praying to the moon. We're praying to God. We're saying, just like I can't touch the moon, so too my enemies shouldn't be able to touch me. It's very strange. What's the understanding of it? So I was thinking, what is the moon? The moon represents acquiescence. The moon has no light of its own. It represents the Jewish people. The Jewish people, we have no light of our own. We just reflect God's light. That's what the moon is. When we dance in front of the moon, what are we doing? We're jumping up and down a little bit. We're trying to reach out to the moon. We're saying, I can't touch you. I'm doing a little movement, trying to get closer to you, but I can't touch you. I'm admitting I can't do it. I'm admitting I can't do everything myself. So then my enemies won't be able to, to touch me. Because when we admit to God, when we show that we are lacking something, when we realize that we aren't in control, that we don't have full power, that's when Hashem helps us overcome our enemies. That's That's the pathway to having success in life in general, but that's the pathway to success against our enemies. So I was thinking with this understanding, look at the water. What does water do? Water is in waves. The waters of the sea, they're in waves. They go up and down. 
They're doing this motion, going up, trying to get closer to the moon, coming back down. Going up, coming back down. What does that represent? It represents Maidim. It represents wa- water. It represents the fact that I can't reach. I'm trying to reach out to the moon. The moon is pulling me toward it. But the moon itself represents Maidim. The, the moon represents Maidim. And the fact that the waters are being pulled by the moon represents Maidim. Represents this acquiescence. Represents this admitting that I don't have the power. I, the water is trying to reach out to the moon. but can't reach it. Comes back down. Trying to reach out again. Comes back down. It represents the fact that water represents and the moon represents the fact we can't do anything on our own. We can only do it with God's help. That's what water represents. Now let's talk a little bit about dam, about blood. What is blood? If we if we ask a scientist, what is blood? So blood is mostly water. It also has red blood cells and has white blood cells. What do all these things do? So let's focus in for a moment on the red blood cells. The red blood cells, they bring the oxygen throughout the body. They're a vehicle. They have the ability to bring the air, which is the life force of the body. They bring it throughout the body, and they bring it to all the cells that need that life. They also are the, the blood is also a vehicle for the white blood cells, which is the immune system, which helps the body fight attack, to fight disease, to fight all kinds of different problems. Blood is really nothing of its own. It's just a vehicle for something else. But not only that, but it's made up mostly of water. Now, if you look at the letters of Dam, there's something amazing. The letters of Dam are Dalid and Mem. What is Dalid and what is Mem? So Dalid explains the deeper sources, the Kabbalistic works. The letter Dalid represents Dalus. Dalus means poverty. What does poverty mean? It means you have nothing of your own. That's what Dalit represents. Dalit represents Malchus, represents even the concept of the moon, represents the concept that we have no light of our own. That's what Dalit represents. What's Mem? Mem is the number 40. 40 is the number of conception of birth. Like we find that from the time that the baby is conceived till 40 days later, so you're allowed to pray for what sex the baby is going to be because it hasn't yet been completely determined. But on the 40th day already, it's clear that the baby is going to be male or female. 40 is the amount of years that the Jews were in the Midbar, in the wilderness. They were developing as a nation. It's the amount of time of birth. 40 is the number of a certain measure in a mikvah, which represents rebirth. So now when we look at the letters of Dam, of blood, you have Dalus, which means you have nothing of your own, and you have Mem, which means birthing, which means the conception of. So you have Dam represents the conception, the realization that one has to make, that he has to make himself to be nothing, to make himself humble, to realize that he's nothing of his own. That happens at the very beginning. There's a message for the Egyptians, but the message, as we said before, is for the Jewish people. Right now you're going to become a nation. You're about to be born as a nation. There's a birth that's going to happen, can only happen if we recognize that we have to be humble. If we recognize that we have no light of our own. That's why the first Makkah, the first plague, the water turns into blood. The water which represents, Moedim, which represents that we have to acquiesce to God, becomes blood. Because blood represents the fact that we have to work, we have to conceive, we have to begin that process of transforming ourselves into the level of water in a certain sense. And then what happens at the very end of the Ten Makos? Again, the Jewish people are commanded to take blood, to smear it on their doorposts, 
outposts. The blood represents the fact that they are developing their awareness, their ability to be humble, to acquiesce to God. They do something very difficult. They have to sacrifice the God of the Egyptians. That takes a tremendous amount of effort, tremendous amounts of sacrifice on their own parts. And they do it. They take the blood, which represents the sacrifice, their humility, their ability to develop their humility. They hang it on the doorposts, and that protects them from the destroyer because they're showing that they're ready to enter into a covenant with God, this covenant of humility. And what's the first commandment, the first mitzvah that they get is the mitzvah of Kiddush HaChodesh, the mitzvah of sanctifying the new moon, the moon which represents complete spotless, complete nullification of oneself to the light of the sun, to the light of God. That was their first mitzvah. And that's why, at the very end of the story, what do they do? They walk through that water. They walk through that level. They've gotten to the level where they've reached the level of maidim, of water, mayim, of maidim, of being able to admit. And what happens to the Egyptians? They're completely destroyed by the water. Why are they completely destroyed by the water? What was God coming to show them? They would never admit. Hashem had to constantly strengthen, make the heart of power heavy because he couldn't admit. He would never admit that there was a God that was involved, that cared about the Jewish people. He would never admit his gaiva, his pride was too great. And they completely destroyed by the water, the water which represented moidim, the water which represented the acquiescence to God, the realization that God is in charge, that the Jewish people are but a reflection of that light, of that spiritual light. The, the Egyptians were completely destroyed by that force. Now, if we personally want to understand how do we develop our spirituality? How do we develop our closeness to God? How do we bring Geula? How do we bring personal redemption? How do we bring national redemption? So we have to realize that the more that we nullify our own egos, we are humble, we reflect God's light, we don't try to create our own light. The more that we do that, the more we're open to what the Torah has to say, to what God wants from us. We don't decide, we don't try to fit God into our view of reality, but rather we allow God to determine how our view of reality should be. So the more that we're open to that, the more our lives will be blessed with that spiritual light. If we wonder how was it that the Jewish people had such a successful war in Gaza recently, how was it because there was a tremendous amount of hisbatlus? The Jewish people, the Jewish soldiers that went into Gaza, they didn't they didn't go in there with haughtiness, they didn't go in there with gaiva. What did they do before they went in? They were praying, they were saying to him, they were saying Psalms, an unprecedented amount of Oh, God awareness that was going on there. And there were so many people who were completely religious. They wanted to put on those tzitzis. They wanted to put on tefillin. They wanted to do anything to connect to God, to bring God into them because they knew that there was no chance for them to succeed. It begins, success begins when we realize that we have no chance of success without God's help. We can't do anything on our own. Once we realize that, that's when we start to succeed. Once we start to have that humility, that's when we start to reflect God's light. Each one of us, in our own lives, we can realize, we can know there are certain things that we do that may not be exactly in line with what God wants. So we have a choice. We can do what we want or we can do what God wants. When we start to make ourselves more humble, when we start to make ourselves more open to what God wants from us, and we're less stuck in doing what we want to do, what our body wants us to do, and it's not even what our soul wants us to do, it's just what our body wants us to do. The more we detach from that, the more we connect, make ourselves humble. We humble ourselves to what God wants, the more we'll be able to bring that spiritual light into our lives. And then we will see ourselves, personal redemptions, and we'll see national redemptions. Thank you so much for listening and have a very good Shabbos.